0: Good evening, and welcome to Red Shirts and Runabout. <laughs> they don't know it's Part evening. of the... <laughs> evening here. That's true. <laughs> uh, we are part of the Heroes Podcast Network, and, uh, you know, it's our weekly Star Trek channel where we talk all things Trek, whether it's Star Trek Discovery, some of the movies, whatever it may be. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Discovery, though, continuing the trend now that it's back, and uh, specifically... The uh, most recent episode, and I believe, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it's What's Past is Prologue, was the title. Yes.
1: What's Past is Prologue.
0: The, what's Past is Prologue. And for our, our listeners out there, you're going to notice there's only two voices this week. Uh, it's just your, one of your usual hosts, Greg and Jeremy. Uh, Derek had to take a week off, but he sends everybody his best. He's out there he watching is, Discovery all he's over again. Right
1: he's trapped in the mycelial <laughs> network.
0: He is definitely trapped in the mycelial network of the of the modern day highway system how about that
1: yeah exactly probably
0: just as dangerous if you think about it uh probably yeah so pretty close pretty close at least no black alerts you're not going to you're not going to vanish into an alternate timeline hopefully not driving around our our hometowns but he might end up uh, about 9
1: months off where he started uh oh spoilers <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd say let's just skip right into spoiler territory this week
0: well it's hard not to Since it's just the with this two episode yeah. cuz they pick up Again, just like last week, they pick up almost it feels like minutes after where the last episode ended.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it basically busts right into uh Lorca gathering and leading the resistance within the uh capital ship of Giorgio's what's what's the, it's something with a C, right?
0: It's they keep pronouncing it the Charon, but I think it's spelled Charon. Charon. Like C H yeah. A R O N, which I thought was like an old Star Trek ship name from the original series, the Charon. Oh, is it? It was one of the explorer huh. ships I thought that got lost. So that's why I kept wanting to say it like that. But I think they keep calling it the Charon.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I had the subtitles on, so it, it, I did see that it was Charon was the, the spelling that they were using. But yeah, that was that was pretty nutso. So so right off the bat, we learned that uh, Lorca made his way to the you know prime dimension, whatever we're calling it, non-mirror, flip-mirror original mirror something uh universe through an ion storm transporter accident so that's more of that uh i mean that's that's the kind of thing we see in ds9
0: the hand wave yeah this uh this happened to this which caused this and now you're in an alternate timeline
1: right and it's basically after a uh failed failed coup against the empire and he was being chased and basically was was about to get blasted into to stardust and and then you know Teleport away.
0: Yeah, because even at the beginning of the episode, he jumps right into kind of saving and rescuing his old crew. Or not not his old crew, but the people that were kind of launching the rebellion with him. Which is yeah. weird. So, listeners out there, there's basically two rebellions happening at the same time for different reasons. in Star Trek Discovery on in the but Mirror what's Universe. What's the other one? <laughs> what
1: do you mean?
0: Because you could...
1: Oh, so the, the rebellion of the alien races and then the rebe- rebellion of the yes. Terrans.
0: the Terran rebellion and the alien rebellion rebellion against the Terrans. Um,
1: yeah, there was, there was a part of me that was kind of holding out hope that Mirror Lorca was kind of a good guy. Like, he was rebelling against the Empire, not just to take it over, but because, like, he wanted a softer Terran Empire that wasn't so hard on the aliens. But, like, right off the bat, he's just like, this... Bitch, Giorgio is, you know, going too easy on the aliens, so we got to take her down. It's like, oh, well, that's that's how you're going to play it, Lorca. All right.
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. It would have been interesting to have them, or have him play, like, a softer kind of character because of how evil the Terran Empire is, where he's like, look, we're never going to win. The rebellion's going to get bigger if we don't change leadership now. And, right. and then instead, it's just like you. It's like, no, they're both evil. It's just one, you know, let's... What's uh, Austin Powers? The Diet Coke of evil. One's just a little right, less exactly. evil than the other. Um, but it, it's. But I remember when he rescued his crew and they were like in agonizers for what, like a year. If uh, not, if not more, if not more. I mean,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> at that At that point, do they have any mental sanity left?
1: Right i just love that the the first like he goes straight to his uh lieutenant the woman that got g- killed so early on in discovery by uh uh the tardigrade yeah in in the normal universe and she seems like she has almost the exact same personality in the normal universe as the mirror universe cuz she was kind of a like questionably evil asshole in in both universes that just constantly like like she just her her natural response to Michael Burnham is to just give her the side eye and hate her.
0: Yeah, I openly. mean, there was no no introduction for her or no comparison to how she is versus the mirror versus the prime version of her. It's like you said, yeah. it's just, "Hey, Rekha Sharma, we love you as an actress. What you were doing early on in Discovery, just you know, just keep doing that."
1: Yeah, it is. It's interesting how, how like. Cavalierly, they throw around all of these characters as if we're just supposed to so easily remember them from the early episodes of Discovery where they were pretty much like a lot of them were only seen either in quick flashes on the deck or either on like the Shenzhou and stuff like that. But they're just like, oh, you remember these characters? Well, we're barely going to say their name. We're just going to treat them like you knew who they were.
0: Yeah, because even it's with... It's interesting. Uh,
1: they, they give so much faith to their audience.
0: Yeah, because even with Detmer, you know, the, the Helmsman, or Helmswoman, excuse me, she's got the cyborg yeah. implants, but it took me a couple episodes to even figure out her name was Detmer, because I couldn't... Have, they were saying it so fast. If they and said it at all. If they said it at all. And I know it's always easy, you can just go on IGN or Wikipedia or uh, anything of that sort to find the character's name, but you shouldn't have to do that. They should be able to say the name in such a manner where a viewer is like, ah, yes, that is
1: well and for them Susan. to have names like detmer and the at atrios or something whatever the cyborg one and then the woman with the 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 dreads is named like Achawebe or something like a very non like standard you know christian name that would be easy for american audiences to pick up uh it's for them to just buzz past those names uh it really makes the audience do more work, but I, I feel like that's better. I feel like they know their Star Trek audience is going to do that work, and they're just like, let them do it.
0: Oh, I, I completely agree with you, and I think Star Trek fans have been doing that for, you know, 50 years now. Right. We always want to know more about the behind the scenes, and I'm probably with you. I know you, Derek, and I were talking about this, is the discoveries in the Mirror Universe. Where's the Mirror Universe discovery? Yeah. And then we, we could talk about that, because there's some stuff that happens at the end of the episode yeah but man there's no there's almost no buildup at all in this episode, which is fine it's just continuing the story they immediately jump into lorca saving his crew yeah
1: it's it's straight up the the empire strikes back of of all this stuff where it's just like we're we're just thrown right into the action there's there's no slow build it's just like everything is happening uh and he goes he goes right from the ion storm explanation like he just throws out exposition like it's nothing. Uh, and then he dives right into, uh, looking for mirror stamens, who's hiding in that hollow cloak, which is the funniest thing. He just like, he threw up, uh, like a, a little cloak shield that he was just standing behind that Lorca just ripped him out of in that lab. It's, uh,
0: very reminiscent of an episode in Star Trek Next Generation called, uh, I think it's Reunification, where they do the exact same thing.
1: Oh, really? Who? But
0: in, in that episode, it actually pretty much works. It saves them. <laughs> um... But, you know, it's it, it and I, that's the one thing, though, because we were talking about how, like, I can't even remember Rekha Sharmer I remember the actress's name. I can't even think of the character's name, the old security chief that came back.
1: Yeah, I have it in my notes how, from, like, the early days of taking notes, but uh, off the top of my head, I have no idea. And
0: the reason I bring that up is she's, like, the same as she was early on. And Stamets, Mirror Stamets, is similar to non-Mirror Stamets. He's he's more evil.
1: Yeah, though we don't see what he was like before, like falling into the mycelial network coma. So maybe that changed him a little way.
0: Yeah, and I apologize, listeners. uh That Star Trek Next Generation episode I was referencing was not reunification; it's just the unification. Uh, <laughs> That's my failure. It's so distressing when I get an episode name wrong. I can't explain it. You must
1: forgive yourself.
0: I'm I'm one of those. Uh, the Vulcan way, right? Or what, what was I thinking of? Because it starts off, it's like a running firefight for the almost the entire episode.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's action pretty much until the <laughs> the action end. I mean, it pretty much until they leave. It's it's just firefight on firefight on firefight on on action sequence on like bombing run. It's just like nonstop. It's amazing.
0: And the one thing that they did surprise me—at least they surprised me with—is. It turns out that little glowing ball wasn't a star of some kind. It was like a, a concentrated mycelial network. Well, yeah, and at score. one point he
1: refers to it as the core of the mycelial network. Like it's it's somehow a hub, like a concentrated hub of, of mycelial energy, which is interesting. But yeah, that's apparently what is running the, the Charon is, is just a ball of, of mushroom power. An endless mushroom reaction that's somehow killing th- the entirety of... The all known universes, which is uh kind of one of the I probably I mean easily the biggest threat we've we've ever seen presented in a Star Trek plot is not only is this your universe being killed but all life in all universes will be killed if nothing is done it's like there's
0: yeah because even the Genesis device. Never posed no. that kind of
1: threat. That, that was planet by planet. I mean, even if something was going to destroy the universe, this is going to destroy all life on all universes. It's like there's no there's no going up from there. That's, that's kind of it.
0: And I used a reference to the TV show Fringe a couple episodes ago. And this is, again, kind of a throwback to what Fringe did on Fox way back when, where there's like two alternate universes, and essentially if one's going to get destroyed, it destroys right. the other one as well. And in this case the mycelial network, which is apparently way more important than just for, you know, space travel, can tear apart the
1: fabric of, you know, the universe, space, time, yeah. and everything. So so I really like this episode. I I love all the action. I mean, from from episode two, that's been my favorite thing about Discovery is just the ability to make it a quick action movie. But uh I I have a big uh Problem with this and something from the end of last week's episode in that so many of Michael's and Lorca's like plans involve getting captured and then just slightly jerking to the left and then killing everyone in the room. Like there's there's no restraints. There's no like no one has any control over their prisoners. It's just like we just expect them to stand perfectly still. And it's like, oh, no, they're killing all of us with two moves.
0: Well there's that and their plans almost rely on people doing exactly what they expect them to do. Right. It, you know if if they would have captured Burnham and Lorca what would what would the plan have been if Georgia, Emperor Emperor Giorgio just spaces Lorca right then and there? Or and she's like no trial, yeah. no jail, you're <laughs> throwing you out in the airlock.
1: Or if they did anything like put you know, a force field around them to constrain their movement or found some kind of handcuffs to slap on them or, you know, in any way just, like, held their arms behind them and physically restrained them. None of these plans would have worked.
0: And I always kind of use Galaxy Quest. I know it was a comedy movie, but there's a scene in Galaxy Quest that always struck me as something that Star Trek stories should do. I don't even know if you remember the film. But there's the scene where they first encounter... You know, Saris, after they accidentally fire on him and all this stuff, and Saris is screaming at him, you know, surrender your ship or I'll destroy you, and Tim Allen's like, oh yeah, no, I get it, I gotta find the thing and I'll give it to you in a, you know, I gotta go find it first, put it in a box. And Saris just screams at the screen, you have ten seconds. I'm like, that's what a villain, like, if I was a bad guy, that's what I would do. You know, I would chain up Lorca with a hundred guards around him in an airlock, and if anyone does something weird, the airlock automatically explodes and they all die. It's not like the Terran Empire cares about casualties anyway. Yeah,
1: it's it's interesting to see the, the difference between the two guns, too, in these action sequences. Because you have the phaser pistol, which evaporates people into a red mist. And then you have the phaser-like assault rifle, which appears to just kind of blast through people. Uh, like, it, it made a straight hole. Yes. And for To go through that guy's head, that was amazing. Like, Mirror Georgiou well, gets in that fight and give... blasts him through. Like up through his chin, out to the top of his
0: head. <laughs> yep, and that, I'll give I'll give that to CBS. And this is something you could really only do with a streaming TV show right now. Is kind of use those kind of mo- those moments of violence because I wouldn't say Discovery is by any means a violent or a gory show. It's just more violent for Star Trek, but it's got nothing on half the TV shows out there comparatively.
1: I mean, it's got nudity, it's got profanity, it's got like full-on gore. I mean, we saw some some pretty messed up things really early on with, like, the, the Klingon guts getting all twisted up and and yeah. people, like, eating chunks of other people and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty much gone there. It's gone to that, that TV MA level many times. So this would not f- pass censors on CBS at all. I mean, it's, it's like, at post-10 p.m. level for a, an HBO or a Showtime even.
0: No, I completely agree with you.
1: Which is rad Which is, as hell. You know, I love
0: it. Yeah. It's, and I'm fine with that. Let's do something different. It doesn't have to be... You know, I know I was complaining a few episodes ago about... I sometimes miss the one-off episodes that Voyager would do or Next Generation, the original series, would do. But you know what? Stuff changes. And Discovery is one of those shows where it's definitely improving with every episode. Yeah. And I've continued to say it for years. I've continued to say it on the podcast. If Next Generation Season 1 and 2 airs today... It gets canceled halfway through season two. And I say that season with everybody one, yeah. knowing my obsession with Next Generation. It's just there's so many bad episodes where today a network would be like, uh so ratings just keep plummeting and nobody likes the storyline and the characters are strange. And you know what? They don't act like real people. So we're going to cancel yeah.
1: it. I mean, I put on DS9 to fall asleep because no one in that show ever does anything. It's just discussions. Like there's... Even Next Generation, once every few episodes, will have a little bit of a space battle. DS9 is always just talking. And it's like...
0: Yeah, up until about seasons 5, 6, and 7 when it gets crazy. But even then, it I gets mean, so crazy at those seasons that...
1: Even then, they come back like from Star commercials card. and someone is like holding their shoulder from a phaser blast. And then they're talking about what peace treaty to negotiate. It's, it's never like a straight up hallway run, you know. Nobody's doing wall runs and kick flips and bat- blasting people through the face and stuff like that. It's like nothing nothing ever in the history of Star Trek has come close to the action sequences in Discovery except for maybe like Star Trek Beyond, but not certainly nothing on TV.
0: Yeah, and the thing that I like about Discovery is it feels like every shot counts. Oh yeah. Whereas in DS9 the latter half of the seasons is you know you got klingon battlecruisers getting destroyed after two torpedoes and deep space nine itself firing 5000 torpedoes in in a combat and i'm like this is cool tv i enjoy it i like watching it but there's almost you know when when federation is losing you know 300 ships a week at some point i'm like it's so the the numbers get so high it's like hard to actually bring it down to a personal level which as discovery you know they're one ship in the mirror universe and they're like uh everybody hates us and wants to kill us so we have to actually be careful with what we're doing
1: yeah i mean you there was there were points early on where i was like well this is discovery is all all just people doing these very like distinct things like everything is the third act action and wrap up of of a given star trek like any other star trek series you don't have any of these like ten forward uh, playing poker, like people talking about their kids kind of moments that you did in previous Star Treks. But as it's gone on, it's like, oh, no, that's not what Discovery is. Discovery is is um, like a sci-fi movie. It's, it's a high action, high intensity, like no discussion. Let's just get some stuff done kind of show.
0: Yeah. And even Lorca and O, who are playing relatively evil characters in the Mirror Universe – they're actually taking pretty deliberate action. You know, I thought the little hallway phaser fight with when uh, George Joe's trying to cap, track down Lorca. Yeah. I thought it was goofy in the sense that the people are just kind of standing out in the open taking, treating phaser shots. But again, it's Star Trek and whatever. I mean, people need to be able to see what the hell's happening. I love those turrets. Without that, having to hide behind like, cover.
1: That made me think, like, why has there never been a turret in all of Star Trek? It's, it seems like very logical technology that, if you, have, if you have people that need to be taken out that are, like, boarding your ship, yeah, throw a, like, a point-mounted turret on the inside of a hallway and zap them.
0: Especially if it's on the Emperor's main ship. Right. And there has been a kill attempt at least once in the past. Yeah. So it would make complete sense for them to install those. You know, I'd be a little bit more paranoid, and I'd put them, like, everywhere. Yeah. Also, there's, but it was still cool to see.
1: Also, it's it seems like bad planning on anyone's part for there to be, like a five push push button activation of stamens' bio weapon to just be pumped through like decks eight through eleven? It's just like what were you that what was, were you making that for? That was something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Again, it's the whole you push two buttons and you have, you know, HMS Pinafore playing. In right. this case, it's you push five buttons and you have an organic death cloud that can wipe out who knows how many they killed? Hundreds? Thousands? Oh, yeah. I mean it's a big ship.
1: I mean yeah, for for a ship that's city sized, for it to take out like you know, a third of the city. That's got to be thousands of people.
0: Yeah, you would think. And they kind of do it without remorse, which for the mirror universe makes complete sense. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, while all this crap is happening on the Sharon, you have Saru, who in the past few episodes has turned out to be one hell of a captain.
1: And is and is he the first non-human Federation captain?
0: Yes. In Star Trek, there have been other characters who have played the role of captain temporarily, like... Data was captain of the Sutherland and Next Generation. Spock, obviously, was a Vulcan captain. But but as far
1: as the timeline this the, goes, this would be before all of that.
0: Yeah, this would be before all of that. And it's also the first time on consecutive episodes where it's been a non-human captain. Right. And I, and I know there's somebody out there listening going, Wait a second, Greg, there were these seven episodes of Voyager. I'm like, stop. This is the first time, you know, Saru has taken over, because technically he's... He's the captain now.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is really the first time where we've seen a, a captain. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, this is all first. Like, discovery does not follow any kind of pre predestined uh, plan that other Star Treks might have in the past. Even even Enterprise, which was so detached time wise and kind of setting wise from the previous ones, which kind of all built on each other chronologically, it's still. Like, you had your Planet of the Week episodes, and then you had your kind of core arc that would bounce around, but everything was still largely wrapped up at the end of a given episode, unless it was a, like, to-be-continued two-parter. This is all one string of nonstop like, day-to-day action. People can die. People can come back. It's, it's very, like, it's like an AMC drama.
0: No, that's a good comparison. It does, it is like an AMC drama, or even an HBO drama or old school sci-fi, you know, before it became Siffy or whatever. Yeah. I know it's still pronounced sci-fi, but it looks weird. Sippy. It's It's like one of those shows with every episode lead, leads into the other, which leads into the other. Because there, there are episodes of Next Generation, the original series, DS9, I don't mind skipping. I'm like, eh, yeah. I didn't care for that episode or whatever. It would be very hard to do that with Discovery. Oh, yeah. Except for the first two. Yeah. You could skip the first two.
1: I mean, you could have, but now they kind of are more important.
0: Well, they're a lot more important now, I guess. You're right. Yeah.
1: And especially coming back to the universe. So, let I mean, let's, let's hit the plot points again. So, um, yeah, Lorca leads the resistance. He gets his people out of the Agonizer. He pretty much takes the ship over. Uh, she, uh, Filippa Giorgio, Captain, whatever, Empress. Uh, emergency teleports to some hidey hole conference room somewhere deeper in the ship, and uh, Lorca gets, gets the bridge. And now now our Lorca that we've known for, for nigh on, what, 15 episodes, something like that, uh, has control of the Terran Empire and, and pretty much names himself Emperor, uh, which is uh, quite a twist.
0: Yeah, and it also throws out any shade of doubt that we were talking about earlier that maybe Lorca is trying to be... Like a multi multicultural multi ethnic kind of emperor to bring peace right. to the federation.
1: No, he, no, wants, he, he wants to up, be worse. He,
0: he straight up wants to be worse. Yeah, and he than emperor and he Georgia. disintegrates
1: Mirror Statements after Mirror Statements helped him not only like take down her force shield and uh, you know kill everybody and and all this stuff. He just he disintegrates him. So he just he just is that ruthless we just haven't seen it yet it's it's shocking
0: it was especially with the ruthlessness of it you know i mean you go you already got the idea he doesn't care for statements anyways
1: yeah i mean but he's he certainly flat been out willing to spend statements as, real statements his life in the past
0: yeah and i get what some people have been saying online after you see this episode you know it makes a second viewing knowing everything you know about lorca you're going to pick up on more stuff yeah just naturally, and even Jason Isaacs, there's a good interview he just did the other day, and I know we shared it in our our private chat, Yeah. where Jason Isaacs is talking about there's stuff that his character does in the past episodes that you'll pick up on now that maybe just slipped by on your first viewing. And I, that's kind of neat. And
1: Yeah, I'm excited for the rewatch.
0: Yeah, me too. And I do enjoy the whole, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's almost the Babylon 5 type, the the novel on TV. Yeah. Where stuff happens for a reason, and, yeah, you get a one-off episode every so often. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Some of the one-off episodes in Next Generation, like I said, were, you know, where Dr. Crusher falls in love with, like, a weird zombie vampire ghost that was in love with her grandma or something. I'm like, what is this? Is What is this? This is just weird. It's not bad. It's just weird.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, Discovery has had inconsequential fluff episodes, too, like the, um, oh, what is his name? The Dwight, oh the Mud, yeah, Harry Mud, that time I like this. episode. I like that one though. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. But I mean, that's they—they they still were able to do that for a couple episodes. But I feel like it didn't um, stop the momentum of this like primary narrative arc that that has run through the entire show.
0: No, I mean stuff even happened in that episode that plays out for the rest of the storyline. Even yeah. though the episode itself was kind of a standalone. And it's you know, but like to get to the plot points you were talking about. I mean, the on the Sharon, it's basically a running firefight the entire time. Even after Lorca takes control, there's still ongoing fighting. But on the Discovery, because Burnham's able to make contact with them, Saru's really starts kind of. He was already doing it the past couple episodes, I or past couple of episodes, excuse me. I think this episode was really him falling into the role of captain very well. Because he acted like a captain. He was giving pretty good orders, but he still cared about his crew. It's kind of like what a Picard would do.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what everybody's been talking about is, is Saru's speech in the Mycelial lab or whatever. Um, where he pretty much inspires everybody to to not accept a no-win situation. Um, like, that was that was a big... I mean, to, to say what everybody says about Trump, that's when Saru truly became captain.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was making a speech to get the people riled up and fired up and to know that, you know, by the way, this is going to be difficult, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to let us fail.
1: Right. But yeah, I mean, that's, they, they come up with a plan. So, uh, to, you know, touch on the plot, um, they statements pretty much brings to light. Everyone on the discoveries brings way. How do I phrase this? Uh, Stamets tells everybody that the mycelial core powering the Charon is destroying all life in all universes. And everybody takes that in in pretty good stride given the severity of that situation. Um, But it also pretty much says this. We're the only ones who know this. We're the only ones who can do anything about this. We have the spores that we've cultivated and we can use those. Uh, on our torpedoes to destroy this and release the energy back into the universe pretty much saving ours and every universe Uh, but it might be uh, a sacrifice we might die in the process and everyone is totally on board to do it though they kind of look look at the plan with grim resolve and uh, saru says like listen if this is what has to be done it has to be done but uh, I, i think we can do better and everybody kind of goes goes back to work with, with that hope in their hearts and comes up with a plan that not only allows them to fix everything, but uh, kind of ride the wave back into uh, Universe Prime.
0: Yeah, and that kind of also plays along with a comment that Burnham made to O about, you know, why'd you do this? And she's like, this is Starfleet. This is what Starfleet does. And yeah. that's, that's true. And Saru plays that up and this crew of the Discovery play that up where you've I mean it's only been you know 3 episodes but nobody in the mirror universe is going to be sacrificing themselves for probably anything.
1: No, and it's and Lorca even refers to the like he's talking to he hails the discovery when the discovery comes out of warp and he says like I wish I could turn you guys to to the side of the Terrans but you're all in this cult. And he just re- refers to the federation as a cult which is it's kind of hard to Hard to hear that, almost, because it's like to to hear people say like, uh, "You guys and your like multiculturalism and your love of aliens, you guys are a bunch of cultists." It's like, oh, Lorca, no.
0: Yeah, and he obviously meant it with complete hatred and complete spite, and it yeah. makes you realize that you already you already know this, anyways. But it even it reinforces the fact that every moment he spent in the prime timeline was absolute agony for him.
1: Yeah, because he couldn't eat Saru, and he wanted to the whole time. Oh, you
0: know, kelpian burgers.
1: <laughs> you know, every time Lorca looked at Saru, he was just like, that would be delicious. But he just he just couldn't. It's hard.
0: Well, like you said a couple episodes ago, it, that's still kind of like cannibalism in a way, eating another sentient species. Anyways. I didn't say that. Before we get off. <laughs> before oh, I thought I that thought, yeah, was you. I don't know. No, I was saying I he, looked, he
1: looked delicious once cooked.
0: He looked delicious? get the get the salts and the klingon ketchup to go with my side of kelpian today.
1: Yeah. I mean, did you see Shape of Water? Doug Jones looks delicious as a weird aquatic man.
0: I I still have not seen that. <laughs> I definitely need to. Um I've heard good things. But again, Doug Jones can act the hell out of anything. Well, yes. Everybody knows that by now. He's
1: amazing. With his weird with his weird clicks, his thinking clicks, He has weird,
0: he has weird thinking clicks and you know, if you think about the beginning of the season, I think there's
1: a lot of people that didn't like him well he was he was a coward i mean he he was trying to hold people back uh he often was unnecessarily confrontational about um michael and michael's involvement on the ship uh so it was it was easy to dislike him but he's that's why it's made his arc i mean Lorca was extra likable because he was such a proponent of of burnham um, and, and just seemed like a fun, get, get the job done captain. And Saru seemed to be the stick in the mud, uh, let's, let's slow everything down and let's, like, stand on ceremony and kind of be up the Federation's butt. But then you, you flip it into the mirror and you see that is what is necessary to, to really keep things on track. And Lorca, the, the hot headed, get things done is getting too many things done. And, uh, Is wanting to wipe out all alien races and, you know, take over the Terran Empire. So it's like, oh, okay, when when everything is taken to the extreme, you would rather have the extreme Saru than the extreme Lorca.
0: Absolutely. And you're continuing to see that growth in Saru every week. And I hope they continue that. I, I really want them to give him a chance as the captain. I know it would be so easy for the showrunners to, you know, kind of elevate Michael Burnham to that rank. No. And just surpass everybody. Specialist Burnham. But she's, I mean. Specialist Burnham.
1: They want to throw her in the, you know, stockades back at Federation. She's kind of only on temporary leave given all the stuff that she did. That's a good
0: point. But it seems like with the way the episode ends, they might be willing to, for, to look past a bunch of that. Yeah. Well, but b- before we get to the end, we've got to talk about the fight on the Sharon. Yeah. Or the, the, the end s- fight.
1: <laughs> right. Which, yeah, there's so many of them. So we have, I mean, it's, it pretty much all kicks off with Michael bringing Giorgio back to the, uh, bridge, um, with the understanding that at some point, as soon as people aren't looking, they're going to just kind of juke left and juke right and then kick everybody's ass, which is like, oh, that's, that's a plan, I guess. It's just, we will beat them. It's like okay yeah, well it was it worked
0: i was almost wondering if it was if uh, they were going to kind of do a blaze of glory type thing and they kind of do but they definitely they obviously had plans within plans within plans where yeah, Giorgio was not going to go down quietly but she was
1: giorgio was willing to go down to with die. her ship cuz she felt like she had already lost in like yeah. capital l lost and and michael wants to save giorgio however she can because of of the guilt of of losing like non mirror Giorgio, but uh, the fight all kicks off when Discovery just blasts a big damn hole through the ceiling, and just like knocks scatters everybody, and then they all just kind of take off in different directions. And it reminded me a lot of the uh, throne room fight in uh, the Last Jedi. I'm assuming yeah, you've seen mean, the, the Last close, Jedi,
0: the close quarters combat. Yeah,
1: where there, Michael just picks up that scenes... mace. Yeah. <laughs>
0: There's even a couple scenes in there where, uh, Commander Landry, that's her name, the, the, the actress Cheka, or Rema Sharka. Yeah. Uh, she's back, that's her character name, Commander Landry. I could have sworn there was a scene, I want to go back and watch it in slow motion, where she's fighting Burnham, and Lorca hits her with his sword. Hits Commander Landry with his sword to get her off. He does. Of that's Burnham. what kills
1: her. He, he just slashes at her and knocks her out of the way so that he can, kill Michael. Or and that's torture. the
0: weird part where I wasn't sure if because he kind of, they, they kind of show it a little bit afterwards. It still feels like he thought he could turn Michael Burnham.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was a weird exchange where she says, if you let everybody on the Discovery go, you can have me but only my mind, not like, not my body. And then he kind of has this moment where he says I'll wait for you to get settled in which I don't know if that was implying after you get settled in, I'll have your body too. But there was something very unsettling.
0: I mean, it, yeah, it kind of felt that that's what he was hinting at is, oh, eventually you'll uh, eventually you'll give in and I'll have whatever I want to have.
1: Right. Which, until this point, I never really got that vibe from him and Michael. I never felt kind of like a lecherous grooming for um, a, a romantic interest. It always just felt like, he had almost like a father-daughter kind of deal with her, but I don't know. It, it A lot of this um, Lorca lusting after Michael piece of the narrative feels kind of abrupt, and I'm not super on board with it. But uh, I guess it's a moot point, given what happens right after that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a moot point, but I'm kind of with you in the sense of, are we just going to believe everything the Terran Empire tells our people now? Like, do we do we honestly think they would never try to say stuff just to get underneath our skin? I mean, of course they would. They do it to each other. Why wouldn't they do it to us? Us. Like I'm actually part of the Star Trek universe. Yeah, us. Um, I can't
1: believe they did uh, this to us. But I mean, th- w- people have been shockingly honest. Um, now in in the mirror universe, because pretty much there's no guile anywhere in this episode. Everybody's just kind of telling it like it is. I mean, probably yeah. the the biggest liar in this whole episode is Michael given that she was planning to betray Lorca and, you know, all that.
0: And he did not see that happening or coming at all. And also, i got to say something I noticed about Lorca, and I'm probably the only one because my brain works like this. When I saw them fighting in the throne room, and he actually reminded me of Benedict Cumberbatch from Into Darkness. Because he had, like, a longer, he had <laughs> like a longer cloak. <laughs> I know. I can't help it. He had, like, a longer cloak.
1: Well, that was... He's... They, there's so much time elapsed from the uh, original scene where he's bringing people out of the agonizers to that final fight. And he had that same stream of blood down the side of his face for probably the full, like, hour that, that elapsed across this time. It's like, you'd think one person would just, like, spit on a Kleenex and just go, like, let me, get come here, let me, let me get that.
0: You think, yeah, I mean, when it's starting to, like, cover up his eyes, you think somebody would be like, all right, here's a paper towel. Yeah. You know, here's a here's a moist towelette from Chick-fil-A or something. Just use this to clean up your face. Uh but again it just shows that apparently he doesn't care. You know, blood doesn't bother him. Yeah.
1: Also he calls he calls uh Philippi uh Philippa Giorgio Pippa, which I thought was interesting. Like she got she got mad at Michael for calling her uh Giorgio, but Lorca just shoots off a pippa at her and she Barely reacted.
0: Now, that sounds like a romantic nickname to me. Obviously, there's no romance between those two. But that's almost like a romantic nickname you give to your better half whose name happens to be Philippa. Philippa, You call her Pippa.
1: Yeah, that was very familiar. Uh, Another thing that uh, was a little bit disappointing for me was uh, Captain Killy uh, goes away in this episode. So, like, at the beginning of the episode, we see Tilly with her with her straightened hair and her Killy uniform, but as soon as they're like, we have a solution, and we're, like, we just know we're back to being Discovery, uh, she, her hair goes back into the frizzy uh, ponytail. It's like, oh, Captain Killy's dead. Long live Tilly. Yeah,
0: if you think about it, Captain Killy's almost like an internet meme now, because she was hugely popular for, like, ten minutes on that episode on when she was introduced. Yeah. And then nothing ever happened. It's like Chekhov's gone. You know, they talk about this cool, interesting character, and then nothing ends up happening with her.
1: Except there still might be uh, Captain Killy of the Mirror Universe Discovery loose somewhere in the uh, Prime Universe.
0: Well, in which case, she better get off her ass and start helping. Yeah. Uh, But we're not going to spoil that just yet, but stuff happens at the end of the episode. Uh, After we want to talk about Lorca's, you know, lovely death, which, by the way, spoilers, Lorca dies.
1: Well, we don't know. He was he was screaming as he was being torn apart. So so something we see early on, which is which is a, a real Chekhov's gun, is uh, Lorca threatens to throw Mirror Stamens uh, as soon as he takes over the bridge into a a big like Mister Burns style execution pit that they have on the bridge of this Charon uh, that just drops you straight down into the mycelial uh, core. Um, So when, when they get the chance to throw Lorca in, they do, they throw him in whole. So he's, he's clearly intact, but uh, as he goes down, he starts to almost, it looked like he was digitizing, uh, and like, you know, kind of fading away in little squares and we hear his, his scream, even as he's being disintegrated. So I, I think he's just going into the mycelial network. I think he's in the mushroom kingdom right now.
0: Wasn't he stabbed in the, in the back though, at the same time?
1: Well, yeah, he was he was stabbed through uh, the the center of his sternum by uh, Giorgio, so that would be a killing strike. But as he's as he's disintegrating, we see like a particular uh, density of the light from the mycelial whatever spores uh, right in his chest. Uh, So it looked like they were either knitting him up or maybe like infesting him.
0: The infesting thing would make sense because they hinted that with mere stamens. Last episode, when he's showing what happened when he put the spores in him, and he's like, ah, uh, I'm kind of infested now, and I don't know right. what to do about it.
1: Yeah, so, and, you know, it's, it's, he's still on the cast, uh, moving into next season, so I, I don't think we've seen the last of him.
0: Maybe the Prime Universe Lorca will somehow pop up, and if it turns out he's just as much of an evil asshole, I'll be like, all right, wait a second.
1: Yeah, it's just like, um, this guy like I thought sucks that was like every a <laughs>
0: <laughs> this guy's just a jerk everywhere he goes
1: but that's that's a big thing that they've been doing in uh the flash uh on the Cw is there's the guy that plays um like the professor that works with them and there are you know 52 multi universes parallel universes so they just keep bringing in there have been about six different iterations of the same character all played by the same actor so maybe they'll just keep doing that where they'll just bring in a new lorca and it's like what do we think about this lorca now let's get another one
0: Jason Isaacs is just. Why did I sign in a ten-year contract? Yeah,
1: he just, please kill me. He just comes comes back as Lucius Malfoy for a little while. And it's like, ooh, which universe is this? All
0: right, you know what? I would I would actually pay money to see that. It'd be like pretty great. CBS All Access. You heard that? I'll I'll pay double the monthly subscription to see Lucius Malfoy on the bridge of the Discovery.
1: Wow, a whole se- seven extra dollars for them. I'm sure that's
0: no. I, I do the ten dollars subscription, so I don't have to deal with commercials. It's Twenty bucks. I'll give Nancy. you guys twenty bucks for Lucius Malfoy to to apparate, and he appears on the bridge of the Discovery somehow.
1: I'm just I'm just happy to see uh, Georgia doing her high kicks, for Giorgio. That was awesome. That was like how she got out of five different predicaments during that fight was just to kick above her head. She's just like kicking knives, kicking lasers.
0: That actress has got the chops to do it. So it's. Uh,
1: yeah, she's. I'm not. It's, it's she's either crouching tiger him. or hidden dragon. I forget which one.
0: That's right, both. Oh, what? what it? Crouching tiger, hidden dragon. Yeah, it's one movie.
1: <laughs> I, um, I, I mean which of the titular crouching oh, tiger or hidden one. dragon is she?
0: Nah, she's definitely both in this episode.
1: Yeah, she both but, crouches so, and hides. So they space
0: mushroom fi Lorca, and the discovery is able to reactivate its spore drive. And I really, I, I have to admit. You know, I'm the critic who criticizes everything, but I liked, I really enjoyed the sequence of Stamets figuring it out, basically. Yeah, and the scene of him and seeing Hugh or Doctor Culber, excuse me, in uh, in the in the network. I like that emotional stuff because I can relate to that. I think most people can.
1: Yeah, and it was it was a good like goodbye for Culber, too, because I would assume that's probably the last we're going to see of Culber. I also wonder if the lack of a Culber is what, like, drove mirror stamens to, to be this kind of evil, like, spore-abusing, poison-gas-making monster. But maybe there's an evil Culber, too, that we just didn't see. Yeah. I'd like to think but not. They, Culber just didn't. Yeah,
0: I'd like to think not either.
1: <laughs> Culber could, could live return? in that evil world.
0: No, there's no way Culber could live in... No, there's no way. Stamens could barely function in the evil world, but so, I mean, he was still evil. But
1: it's so they arrive evil. back
0: in their in little evil medieval. There we go. But he arrives. They excuse me. He they arrive back at the prime timeline, and they somehow. And that, this is where the questions I've got. They, okay, so they figure out they're back in their timeline. They know where they are.
1: They with also with Michael know and cal- Giorgio.
0: Yeah, with Michael and Mirror Joe. I can't believe I even forgot that. So, you know, when they're beaming Michael off of the uh, the Charon as it's being destroyed or fired upon, she grabs Georgiou, Mirror Georgiou, and beams over to Discovery and brings her back with her to the, to the Prime timeline, Prime Universe.
1: Which is a bold move.
0: A very bold move, and I've got a lot of questions on. But first, my main question was, so they get back in the Prime Universe, they know where they are, and they even figured out exactly when they were. But then they couldn't contact Starfleet
1: because Starfleet. So what are they talking to? Starfleet's been destroyed.
0: Well, and that's what I don't get because the trailer for the next episode says the Klingons have taken twenty percent of the Federation. I'm like, don't get me wrong, twenty percent's a lot, but so there's still eighty percent of the Federation out there somewhere, right?
1: I would assume there's, like, subspace monitoring beacons that kind of relay messages as you're doing that stuff. So maybe the automated response that they would usually get by tapping into that network maybe came back as as a negative, so they were just out of range. Because if they're in the middle of space, I mean, you can't just, you know, hit a button and start talking to Earth because it's thousands of light years away.
0: Yeah, but even they said they contacted Earth, but there was no response.
1: I don't know. Maybe the the tower that they tried to ping was just out in out of juice, or had been blown up. I, I assume it's just some kind of infrastructural uh, problem because we see
0: they need to blame the uh, the moon's gravity or something. They got to pull Star Trek, you know, in all the movies. Uh, the moon's gravitational field obscured our signal. True.
1: I mean, there's there's also the fact that they might have just taken down the communication network out of out of fear of uh, spies or Whatever. So I'm yeah, sure, sure there will be any number episode, of reasons.
0: What we're referencing is when the Discovery returned to the Prime Universe, they found out that they're actually off by nine months in the future. Yeah. He's it, just like, we well, overshot months, it.
1: Like it
0: was, <laughs> whoops. They overshot pretty bad. And in those nine months, the Federation defense lines have completely fallen apart.
1: God, I was so hoping they were going to come back to the normal universe and just, like, Picard's Enterprise is, is waiting for him there and then they would just be like oh we really overshot it and then it would just be like credits i'd be like oh my god this is the best
0: <laughs> that would be that would be pretty fun i would like that It'd be incredible. but so a lot's happened in those nine months and the teaser for the next episode almost kind of shows because the one admiral's back uh, i'm trying to i can't even think of her name wait who are you talking about the uh, the t- trailer shows that the one admiral that Lorca had a relationship with. Oh, back. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The one that had been kidnapped.
0: Yeah, the one that had been kidnapped and then immediately saved. Right. So I'm wondering, is the Starfleet like leading some kind of resistance against the Klingons, even though maybe a bunch of territories been occupied, and it's just those occupied sectors that are leading well, resistance, her, almost kind of like her Wolverine's. And Sarah. Yeah, her and Sarek, So maybe it's like a Wolverines thing from Red Dawn. Where the Federation still exists, but a bunch of the planets are isolated and cut off.
1: True. Though we I mean the in the history, the known history of the the normal timeline of Star Trek, this the Klingon Ward never gets that bad, does it? Not
0: in that not in the natural timeline, no. I mean so, there's yesterday's Enterprise, which is a one off episode of Next Generation, which talks about how bad a future Klingon War would have been. Right. Not a future one, but a mirror Klingon War would have been. But the Prime Universe, it never they never talk about how the Klingons conquered twenty percent of the Federation and basically the equivalent of sixteen months, however long the show's been airing plus the nine month gap.
1: Yeah, that seems extreme. I mean I mean it's and but we we also see that like how this plays out is mirror Giorgio brings some kind of tactical brilliance to, to help push back the Klingon force. But I, I, I feel like we don't see a version of this really play out unless they time travel back to the beginning
0: and do like a hard reset of like, some kind.
1: Yeah. Like fix this somehow.
0: Well, they're going to have to, because here's my complaint is they get rid of evil Lorca which is fine, but then if if they're, if they're just going to replace him with evil Georgiou, who is evil, I mean, she eats a kelpian on screen. She's not like a good person. If they're going to yeah. use her it, again, it kind of follows the whole Star Trek Into Darkness storyline. You know why they wake why they wake up a three hundred year frozen dead man? Because you're smart. He's like, no, it's not because I'm smart. It's because of my savagery. It's like, are they going to do the same thing with Georgiou? And Joe's like, no, you're all smart enough, but. I'm smarter because I'm savage when it comes to fighting.
1: Well, and let's, let's look at the titles of the final two episodes of this season. We have the next one is The War Without, The War Within. So that's probably just going to be straight up conflict. And, and we see some teases about, uh, how, how Giorgio might be helping tactically with, with the resistance against the Klingons. But the final one, Will You Take My Hand? That's, that's an interesting title for, uh, for all of this. Will you take my hand? I bet somebody's hand gets cut off.
0: <laughs> they literally have to give the hand to somebody else to hold. Maybe it's it's a, it's a literal phrase. You know, Burnham loses a hand in combat. And she's like, "Saru, will you hold this, please." <laughs> um, maybe they'll finally wrap up some of the, the Larell storyline because Lorel's not even in this most recent episode at all.
1: Yeah, Lorel and Tyler are completely out of out of this episode that just aired.
0: Yeah, and it makes me wonder what they're going to do with them the rest of the season. They've got to do something.
1: They showed a flash of Laurel um, in in the previews for this coming episode, so I, I know she's going to be a part of that one.
0: But yeah, who knows? they got some. They got a lot of storylines to complete and to wrap up before the season ends, which, you know what, that's fine, because it means they've already been renewed for Season 2, so they can actually do some long-term planning, and they don't just have to rush storylines to finish stuff up in the next you know, 80 minutes of TV.
1: True. And I was, so when, when we first started hinting at the mirror universe and the trip to the mirror universe, I was, I was worried that it was just going to be like a one and done. Uh, I was, I was, I'm still kind of want them to live in the mirror universe for a, an extended amount of time. But now that they've brought, um, mirror, uh, Giorgio back with them into the normal universe, I feel like the mirror universe is still very much in play, especially now that um, the mycelial network is is rejuvenated. So Spore Drive is still like a viable thing. And Spore Drive, with their known information and uh, Stamets' abilities, allows them basically, I mean, once he gets a better handle on it, unlimited time travel and dimensional crossing. So the, the Discovery can be basically like Rip Hunter in Legends of Tomorrow and just be wherever and whenever the hell he wants to be. The Discovery is basically a TARDIS now.
0: Yeah, and they're going to have to find some way either in the next two episodes or the next future seasons to explain why using the spore drive is so bad. Like maybe they rejuvenated it this time, but it turns out consistent use poisons it somehow. Yeah. And Starfleet... They make a treaty with somehow all the alien races. They're like, "Look, it's cool to use this, but don't use it because the fabric of space and time is going to fall apart and we're all going to die."
1: I mean, without the tardigrade, no one else can access it. Only Stamen's can because he yeah. bonded with it genetically. So unless someone else like tracks tracks that guy down who went into like nothing space, uh, it's still kind of within their, you know, it's their their toy.
0: That's a good point.
1: Maybe that's the will you well, take my hand. Maybe they cut off Stamets' arms so that he can't use the
0: his ports. So he can't use the ports anymore. They give him, you know, cyborg hands, right? It's Star Trek. It's the future. Yeah, it's like Luke Skywalker had his hand chopped off, and they gave him a cyber cybernetic hand. There we go. Spoiler. Oh crap! Sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? That was that was from 1980. If, well, if some if, people if might not have gotten to around to it yet. Yeah, if anybody listening to this has not listened or not watched The Empire
1: Strikes Back um, or the trailers for The Last Jedi because they feature the trailers, his yeah. hand per- <laughs> pretty pretty much all the all of them.
0: You might as well just unsubscribe to all things sci-fi. That's true. But that you know, there's so many jokes with that kind of stuff, anyways. But Jeremy, your final thoughts on this most recent episode of Star Trek Discovery?
1: It was badass. I, I love a good action-packed run and gun uh, sci-fi thing and for that to be not only a Star Wars thing or Star Trek uh, got me got me confused. a Star Trek thing, but like an active ongoing Star Trek series, I just I love that that's the the timeline that we're living in.
0: I'm with you there man. These past few episodes have really reinvigorated my overall interest in discovery. I'd always enjoyed the show. But now it's to the point where I want to see what happens next week. I want to see what happens next week, and so on and so forth. Yeah, the I don't fact that there's only episode. two
1: left is is a looming bummer.
0: Yeah, I, it's it's a shame that it's hard for people to take a chance on a sci fi show right out the gates. Like what happened with The Expanse when this, it's Expanse aired for season one, and it's like, oh man, this is great. And then they're all like, oh crap. Well, I guess we'll make another season, but it's going to take two more years. Right because they didn't know that was going to get so well-received. But, you know, it's a great episode. I'm glad Star Trek's back. Every week I'm happy to see Star Trek on television with new content, fresh content, new characters, interesting characters, and I want to see the adventures of Captain Saru now.
1: Yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see him impress on with his career as, as a captain. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see if Discovery, after this all wraps up, comes to Netflix. It's going to have a whole other like, a whole other wave of popularity and fandom that that comes from that, that new platform. It's going to be crazy.
0: Yes. And maybe CBS, if you're listening, come up with some sort of agreement with Netflix where you air it on Netflix and All Access and come up with some sort of joint deal or something. I don't know. But you'd get more people watching, and the more people watching, this is good for Star Trek.
1: I mean, it's already on Netflix in other countries.
0: That's right. This is America. We want our Netflix. Yeah. Anyways. So... Jeremy, I'm glad you liked it. I enjoyed it as well. Uh, for those of you out there, glad you uh, stuck around with us listening to another episode. Episodes. Yeah, episode. Uh, I'm going to leave that in. I'm not even going to edit that out because that's just perfect. Um Another <laughs> well, episode of Red Shirts out. and Runabouts. Oh, you'll edit it out. That's fine. <laughs>
1: it's like a Tyler Perry Episode.
0: Yeah, episode. Well, you know, I did just watch the, uh, Star Trek 2009 and Tyler Perry's in it. So there we go. <laughs>
1: that's right. It's all coming around full circle.
0: Yep, I can tie everything back to Star Trek somehow. Admiral Even more Medea. Star Trek, Admiral Medea. Oh, that's that's <laughs> the twenty. That's twenty nineteen Star Trek. Can't wait. Anyways, everybody, thanks for listening to Red Shirts
1: and Runabouts. It plugs. They can find me on. <laughs> oh, uh, find me on Twitter on Zen Munkin or on the Saturday Morning TuneCast. Also on the Heroes Podcast Network. That's on Saturdays. How about you? And you can find me on Twitter and on Yahoo
0: at my email address of. The underscore bitter steel. Uh, big game of thrones fans. So I'm going to talk to these guys about doing a game of thrones podcast when the show returns. If it ever does, or will the next season be canceled? Ooh. Ha ha ha. It's not going to get canceled. They're already that? almost done. <laughs> they're already almost done filming.
1: This, they're, they're, they're already cashing
0: those checks. <laughs> they're already cashing those checks. HBO's like, guys, this is keeping our network alive. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: This is why we're planning, you know, 19 different spinoffs, but anyways, that's for different podcast fans. Yep. Yeah so track us down on itunes on uh facebook on twitter heroes podcast network check out any of the shows
1: and blog talk radio
0: yeah blog talk radio that's right and we will talk to you again next week over and and out (laughs) red shirts and runabouts is part of the heroes podcast network the show is hosted by myself gregory bosco along with jeremy munkin and derek Mayer. the theme song is by flying killer robots You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage.